Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. This episode is brought to you by Buyers Agency Australia. Just removing myself from my comfort zone uh, and then physically going to a different place with different people and there's, there's nothing there that I know. Um, I think that whole process within itself is enough to change somebody's mind because you kind of have to adapt. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking to military man Timothy Brown as he takes us through his personal journey growing up. Discover how he lived in the United States at the age of 22 for a year that changed his life forever and how his unforgettable experiences in the army gave him the life skills to succeed as a prolific property investor. Timothy Brown is a remarkably disciplined individual who's managed to succeed wherever he's gone. I currently work for the federal government and um, have working, been working for the federal government for most of my um, working career um, and I uh, have become obsessed with property in the journey. I work for um, the Department of Home Affairs and one of the um, sub-agencies for that um, to do with uh, immigration and I deal with a lot of uh, international people um, who come into the country. and. Uh, day-to-day just looks like working with the police and um, what, what they interact with people from across the across the borders um, but that's only a recent role um, I've spent most of my federal government time uh, within the military the army more specifically. Spending most of his life in Victoria between a recent stay in Adelaide, Brown shares with us how he has never had a major interest in school but still enjoyed growing up in Melbourne. Yeah I grew up in uh, a suburb in Melbourne called Elphington which is uh, to the East, northeast of uh, the city, fairly close to the city, um, and I've been Victorian, obviously, for a while. But I uh, spent most of my last nine years over in Adelaide, actually. So I've kind of moved around the states a bit, particularly for work in the military. I had no intention to leave Victoria. Um, I grew up as a, you know, typical Victorian kid and went to a school within the area, um, high school as well, and. Um, Pretty much, just spent most of my time doing what everyone else did, is you know, hang around the pool at our house and just uh, hanging out with mates. Um, and I, I didn't have intention to leave, as I said, until I decided to join the army after school, a few years after school actually. And they pretty much tell you where you're going, so that's just how it ended up in Adelaide. I was physically at school, not mentally. Uh, it just wasn't for me. I just, I'm a very disciplined and structured and regimental person. However, just school wasn't wasn't for me. And uh, I spent most of my time hanging out with mates, um, whether it's you know in the pool, physically outdoors doing things, but also would spend a fair amount of time inside playing, you know, PlayStation um, with the boys um, and things like that. If, 
very very typical of like the genre of my my age with all the, with all um my school friends but yeah school yeah it wasn't for me um I got along with everyone there and my teachers and stuff but my, my attentive level was very much not there and I just I just rocked up enough to get through it all to be honest it's very typical of people who join the military <laughs> Brown reflects on what led him towards his chosen career path in the army and how exactly he followed that path. I spent most of my childhood playing armies, um, you know, pretend armies as a, as a kid and, you know, had all the toy guns and if I didn't have a toy gun, I had my index finger pointed out, my thumb up, you know, that was good enough. Um, and I think it just kind of, I was always interested in the military and, you know, armoured vehicles and soldiers and whatnot. And then once I uh, got to an age where I it kind of clicked and I just went, oh, I can actually do this myself now. I can actually go and be a soldier and fulfill that kind of childhood dream of what I've been doing in the backyard. Um, so that's that's kind of the pivotal point where I'm going to do this. And it did take a few years for me to actually get in because I was very, very staunch on a specific role I wanted. Um, so I was patient enough to, to wait to that um, role opened up, it was quite um, competitive time to get in uh, around that that time of finishing school. So, so I wanted to. Well, I joined the cavalry. So that's um, these days not horses anymore, but it is armored vehicles, armored fighting vehicles. And uh, I wanted to, I wanted to ride on top of an ASLAV or a um, APC, uh, and that's exactly what I ended up doing, which is really good. And I was, I was really glad I was patient in waiting for that specific role because there were others, and they were happy to take me for other positions, but. I just, I just didn't want to do that. I just knew what I wanted and I was headstrong and I was just going for it. So it was a few years of just sitting on the sidelines waiting um, until I could really get in there. So just, it made it all the sweeter when I finally was able to be recruited. It was straight out of high school. Um, I had a few limitations on, on, you know, in my mind of whether I wanted to do full-time. To be honest, I was a bit nervous to go do full-time. Um, so I was thinking about maybe doing reserves, but, you know, my dad and, and my mum, who were very supportive of that, really kind of nurtured and coached me into not just do it, put in the full time. But um, I, I did get knocked back the first time. They said, you know, go away, grow up for a bit, which is quite common for, you know, someone 18 years old, straight out of school. Um, so, that, so that was my first kind of experience, which I was gutted. When I got that letter, I was absolutely gutted. It was a major setback for me. However, he managed to turn this setback into a valuable experience, taking an opportunity to work in the United States at a summer camp. Just turned 22 when I actually first got in, so it was it was a couple of years that I didn't um, have that military career. But what I was doing was just doing other other jobs. Um, I worked with my uncle for a while, and that was just in some installing industrial uh, fit outs, so pallet racking and stuff. So nothing too special or crazy but um it was money in the pocket why uh i waited for this job um and i did a few other things you know i I was working quite a bit working at coles and um picking up other little roles every now and again just testing a few things out but you know none of it really fulfilled me um but also i knew that i knew that i was waiting for something else so it didn't really bother me as well it was good just to earn some money and enjoy myself and i took myself on a few trips overseas um one just a couple for just holidays and short stints, and I ended up actually going over to the United States and worked in a, uh, a summer camp over there, and that was an amazing experience and it's probably one of the best things I did prior to join the army because it kind of really opened up my eyes 
in terms of the greater world and, and really get some good life experience just going by myself to another country and just learning. I had a really good time. It was an amazing experience for me to you know, get out of high school, obviously do a bit of travel, but then do a big trip, which is um, four to five months I was away for by myself, get overseas um, and working one of these summer camps. Um, it was it was just really good to meet new people, um, be out on my own uh, and explore that part of the world uh, as well as earn a bit of money and doing it, travel and whatnot. And uh, it's one of the best things I did prior to join the army because it really set me up for success in terms of like having a better mindset, really honing in and, and confirming what I wanted to do when I got back to Australia. It, uh, it was a big, big game changer for me, just being a bit more worldly. And of course, you know, when the army sent me away to grow up a bit more, that's exactly what those sort of things did. I think the, the way it worked out was when I first had the application um, denied for army, I had to go through a bit of an appeals process and that was you know, a bit arduous really in terms of back and forth with appeal paperwork and documents. Um, and that kind of really put a damper on me as a whole um, and my mind. So I can't remember how it came up to be honest, but I think I've just heard some somebody say something about it and I just went to mum and dad and said, what do you think? While I'm waiting for the army, they've told me it's about a year's wait from now and I should be good to go, but what should I do? And they just said, you're stupid not to, basically. So um, they assisted me in, in kind of arranging that and I just got over there and, and just went for it. And um, it was a really amazing experience. I was, um, I, I was employed as a lifeguard, so my role over there was just driving um, little tuckers, little kids around on a, uh, a boat for them to wakeboard around. Um, so I got the good lifeguard gig. So it was an unreal holiday and getting paid to do it. It was, it was the best thing. I highly recommend it. Um, but it's, it's, it's very American. It's so American, but it was really, really, really fun. This valuable experience really expanded his worldview and put him in good stead for his future in the army. Just removing myself from my comfort zone uh, and then physically going to a different place with different people and there's, there's nothing there that I know. Um, I think that whole process within itself is enough to change somebody's mind because you kind of have to adapt um, because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable um, being in a new place where you don't know anything, don't know anyone. Um, and I think that's, yeah, really conducive for change in someone's mind if you want to let it do that. Uh, and then, then being forced to integrate with other people. Um, I, I want to say cultures, but, you know, it's America. It's very similar to here, but it's obviously a bit more American. Um, but it, there's, there's still a bit of, like, assimilation that needs to happen Um and then just meeting different people, meeting people from all around the world because with the summer camps is basically where uh, parents send their kids for the sum- their summer um, on holidays and, you know, the kids get to like go on these great experiences and adventures and they have all these international what they call counsellors come over and look after them basically. So everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's thinking, what am I doing? Everyone's having a great time meeting new people. Um, and it's a really cool environment. I think just that growth within itself, being comfortable in your own skin, meeting new people from all different cultures and backgrounds, et cetera, uh, it's, it's really hard not to have a different outlook on life because you realise there's a bigger world out there, different problems, different people, different places. Um, if you can really acknowledge that and harness that, it's, it's a real weapon in your mindset. Coming up after the break, we'll learn about Tim Brown's boot camp experiences. This is military. There's, uh, 
yeah, it's designed it's designed exactly to break you break you down really and rebuild you as a soldier exactly how they want you to be very regimented. The discipline required to be a good soldier. Just learning everything from um, ironing your your cams and your clothes properly, from making your bed to the most precision measurements. The details of his specialty and service. It's a really really cool experience because that's when we really got into the nitty gritty of the job, um, climbing on armored vehicles and learning the bigger weapons, um, learning all the different skills to be a cavalryman. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals? or what the best strategy is to build a wealth-generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no obligation free 45-minute strategy call. Joining the army is a daunting task for anyone and for Brown, it was not any easier. 2014 is when I got the enlistment date and um, I was pretty much put on a bus one day in April and sent to what people know as boot camp, but it's just um, recruit training up in Wagga Wagga. I was very, very nervous. Um, you know, obviously, kind of just experienced being away and out of my own. This is this is a different game. This is this is military. There's, uh, it, yeah, it's designed it's designed exactly to break you break you down really and rebuild you as a soldier exactly how they want you to be. Very regimented and stuff. So sitting on that bus, I've met a few people obviously, and I was. It's, we were all in the same boat, pretty nervous. But yeah, it was a nerve-wracking ride. It felt like a really, really long bus ride up to Wagga. Um, and pulling into the gates, I just remember my heart through my chest thinking, what have I done? <laughs> so yeah, it was it was pretty sketchy for a bit there. But once we got going, it was okay. But yeah, I think the whole time um, at what we call Kapuka was... I was holding on. I was really holding on. It was such a shock to the system. It's it's funny and easy now when I think about it, but it was yeah, scary. The fire hose of information and uh, a new way of life. So at the time and there, it's tough and it's hard and it's arduous and it's scary and it's unknown. But sitting here now looking back of it, it, it was a breeze and it was easy, particularly once you experience, you know, the real army world outside um, outside military training. But at that time, when you know nothing, nothing else, it is hectic. That's a way to experience, a way to describe it. It's just hectic. So, you know, just just learning everything from um, ironing your your cams and your clothes properly, from making your bed to the most precision measurements, or marching on the drill square, shooting weapons, pack marching for for hours and hours and hours with heavy weight, whatever it is, learning navigation, the, the whole range of military skills and tactics is quite big and it's it's really really hard to get your head around quickly when you have to though you have to adapt and get um get your skills and knowledge up to scratch um 
yeah, to be able to, you know, march out on that day as a, as a soldier. I say only, it felt like three years at the time. We were counting the days. I remember me and one of my mate, best mates um, in the same room as me, we'd, we'd have a little secret makeshift calendar crossing off days um, and we were just going from meal to meal um, trying to just take it, you know, at bite chunks. Um, but, yeah, it, it was full on. Brown explains his transition into the cavalry and what he learned while he was there. So as I said before, I wanted to join the cavalry. So everyone splits off from Kapuka and then goes to their um, their new units. So for me, it was my cavalry training position. So I had a, a handful of guys who were doing that with me. We all got on the bus and went to Pakapanyal, Victoria. Um, and we did our cavalry armoured corps training there and that was about six months um, in, in Pakapanyal for me to experience the, the freezing cold to the hot, you know, temperature changes of uh, Paka, as we call it. And, and that, that was really cool. That, yeah, it, it was a really, really cool experience because that's when we really got into the nitty-gritty of the job, um, climbing on armoured vehicles and learning the bigger weapons, um, learning all the different skills to be a cavalryman, uh, learning the history and really becoming attached to that role, particularly with knowing the history of, you know, light horse and and being the guys with the, you know, the the feather as they say in hat, but it's the plumes um, that you see in a you know a hat of a Australian soldier. So that was really really cool to be able to be a part of and to learn all those different skill sets um, to be a cavalryman. The army usually has a minimum four year requirement after enlisting. You stay in until you want to either discharge or, or move on to a different role or whatnot. But typically within those four years, you'll, depending on what you do and your experience, you might promote or you deploy or, or other things like that. So there can be some moving around um, if you're posted to a different unit in a different location. Um, and it seems to be the trend, especially these days, that uh, a lot of the guys just do their four years and then they'll discharge. But obviously you have people that range from doing four years to, you know, 30, 40 years. So it's really up to the, the individual to decide how they want to see out their career and whether they continue it for that long. So, And as I said, I did about six, six and a half years um, with that before I pulled the pin. When I was going through my um, cavalry training, was they, up, they stood up a unit in Adelaide. So they split what was the 1st Armoured Regiment from Darwin and then put a subunit down in Adelaide. And they were asking pretty much for volunteers to go that go there. Um, so I ended up raising my hand and said, yeah, I'll, I'll go, I'll do it. I don't really have a really – I didn't have a giant drive to go anywhere. I also thought I'll just give it a crack. So I went over to Adelaide, was posted there, ended up being the best choice ever um, for a whole number of reasons. But um, after my six months, we they flew us to Adelaide and we just joined the unit and just start again. Um, start start from the bottom ranks again. So uh, it was it was it was really cool to get to Adelaide and, and be part of the new subunit as well. And I was lucky enough myself to get a deployment to the Middle East as well as a couple of trips into the um, you know Pacific region as well, which was really really awesome experience and, and made my career, even though it was semi short, um, really fulfilling for myself. Brown's time in the Middle East involved a lot of interaction with vehicles in a security and maintenance role. Our day-to-day role basically was to, one, maintain our vehicles and equipment for the role that we had. 
um, and also to roll out with our training teams and, and meet the Iraqi partners or, you know, Iraqi police, um, whoever were training that week or day uh, in order to uh, equip them with the, the, the skills that they could get within the two weeks that we had them for before they went up and, you know, engaged with ISIS in, in, in Mosul, which was the battle of the time that I was when I was in Iraq. Um, so the, the day-to-day was consist of that. So we had we do had little gaps in between those tasks where we could look after our own fitness or, you know, try and get a call in home um, or take care of anything personally that we needed to do. But uh, I spent a bit of time on the QRF, which is a quick reaction force as well. So that was uh, where we'd kind of be ready. On, we'd, we'd maintain a presence on base and be ready for anything that we needed to be called out for if there was any uh, enemy threats or something uh, was not quite right, we'd, we'd roll out quickly. Uh, we'd always have to be on a short notice to move, meaning that at any moment we had to be able to jump in our vehicles and react. So that was good as well. I enjoyed that part um, of it. it. It felt like we were doing something even though there wasn't much going on, if, if that makes sense. But um, overall, it was still a really good experience. You know, It wasn't as hot as one of those deployments that some of the boys had back in the, uh, you know, proper height of the afghan or iraqi war but you know it's still good to be able to get overseas and feel like i was putting in you know a bit of work and effort that you know you trained so long for uh, as a soldier reflecting on leaving the army brown has some advice for any potential employees out there i didn't want to just jump out with nothing ready for myself um and as most people wear these days, it is a massive problem for, you know, soldiers to jump out and they don't really have anything else to go for. They're, they're full of knowledge, full of excellent um, skill sets, really, really just good people um, with amazing experience who could just kill it in any, you know, invite, work environment. Um, and it's hard for them to get a look in because these days, you know, it's, everything's really based on what paper do you have, what paperwork do you have, what uni degree. When when really in my mind it doesn't really determine what type, type of person you are, what kind of ethics or or worker you're going to be, uh, I think it's a huge, huge miss for any employer who doesn't look into ex-soldiers, um, male or female or whatever. Timothy Brown's story is so unique and we will delve deeper in a future episode of Property Investry as we learn why he went into property. I wasn't built for school. I wasn't built for that typical structure of society, the nine to five. That It's just not me um, and I just needed to break out of that. So I just was brainstorming pretty much every spare second of my life thinking, what can I do? How can I do something? The discipline it takes to be successful in investing. I set an exact time for that deposit to be ready. Um, and then that, that, that came, that eventuated, and then I deployed that into the marketplace to get a property. So, as well as the mindset required to succeed in property investment. I'd much rather pay triple for good managers than pay cheap for poor managers because it pays dividends when things go wrong. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals? Or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. 
With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.